Thank you so much, Nikki and Pips. Hey, it was great to be with you this morning. Great to be with you online. If you've got a Bible with you on your phone or on paper, please turn with me to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be reading together from Luke chapter 10, starting from verse 25. And the words are going to come up on the screen behind me as well. Luke 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three? do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And this morning for a few moments, I want to speak on the subject, how to respond to racial injustice. I grew up in Tooting in southwest London. Make some noise if you're in from south London today. Come on, the rowdy bunch. Throw some love in the chat if you're from south London. Um, I grew up in south London, but my dad is from India. My mum is from Sri Lanka. And growing up, I loved watching movies. And my favorite genre of movie was the Bollywood movie. Come on, show of hands, who's ever seen a Bollywood movie in your life? Yeah, show of hands if you've never watched a Bollywood film, and show of hands if you hate when I ask you to show your hands in church. I would fully recommend you watching a Bollywood film if you ever have seven hours free of your life. They're wonderful. They're amazing. There's so much action, so much drama. I love the singing. I love the dancing. I love the bright colors. And one of my favorite films growing up was this film called Kahona Piahe. Now, I don't speak Hindi, which made watching these three-hour-long Bollywood films very challenging. I had to read them on the subtitles. But I knew this one film really well, and I knew this one phrase, Kahona Piahe, really well. It translates as, say you love me. Now, as an eight-year-old growing up in Tooting, there really wasn't much cause to say, say you love me every day. So I try and work this phrase into conversation as best as I can, practicing my lines. Because I wanted to be the hero of this film, Kahona Piahe. And so I remember when I was a child, I'd literally practice giving this line in front of the mirror. Like I'd give it in as many different dramatic ways as I could because it was the only phrase that I knew. So I'd deadpan into the mirror and just say, 
Kahona piahe. Kahona piahe. Kahona piahe. And I, they had this one move in the film. Now, the thing that would have stopped me being a Bollywood actor was I'm terrible at dancing, right? But I really wanted to nail this one signature move. Like, look it up when you go home. Kahona piahe, the title song. There was this signature move that I would practice in the mirror, right? And it would go something like, it was, it was so embarrassing. It would go something like this. Like, you'd put his hands together and he'd do something. Bearing in mind, the lead character had massive bulging biceps and wear this, like, sleeveless top. I, eight years old, and 27-year-olds do not have big bulging biceps. So it looks slightly less impressive, but it was this amazing move. He'd go like, that was, that was the move. You missed it. Watch it again. Wow, wasn't that incredible? Thank you. Yeah, you can see why I didn't make it into the Bollywood film industry. Not much of a dancer. But I loved watching these films. And I don't, I don't think it was just the, the music. I love the music. I don't think it was just the dancing. I love the dancing. I don't think it was just the drama. But actually, I think there was something significant about why I loved watching these Bollywood films. You see, growing up in London, I didn't really see many positive role models around me. There wasn't people in media and film who were the heroes who looked like me. And it was really significant because in these films, I'd see someone who I could identify with, who was the hero of the film. You know, who we choose as our hero says a lot about the story we're telling. And Jesus chooses as his hero in the story of the Good Samaritan, a Samaritan that would have been shocking to his original audience in the context of racial injustice. And why I'm passionate about this area of racial injustice. Growing up in, in South London, I did experience, as my family did who are migrants into this country, fleeing the civil war in Sri Lanka, uh, we experienced as a family racism, both, both physical and verbal, but that's not why I'm passionate. And I know, I know people in this room even, people watching online, have experienced racism worse than I'll ever experience. People throughout history have experienced these things more than I could ever really understand. Why I'm passionate about this area of racial justice isn't because I've experienced it. It isn't because I'm a person of color. It's because I'm a Christian. And Jesus calls us in the face of injustice to challenge systems and structures of oppression. Even this week, we've seen the headlines. Racism in the news, across all areas of culture, politics, sport, even the church. And this week, as our very own Archbishop says... That we, the pursuit of racial justice is a gospel imperative, inseparable from following Jesus. So what can we learn from this story that Jesus tells about how to respond in the face of injustice? And we see a man, an expert in the law we're told, told goes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asks, what does the law say? And he gives an amazing summary of what the law says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. But this was loaded because his next question is, who is my neighbor? Look with me again. Verse 10, um, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. We read, 29, we wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now that might seem like a strange question to ask. 
But actually, in the context of this man, that would have made a lot of sense to ask the question, who is my neighbor? This man was an expert in the law. He would have been familiar with the promises of God throughout the Old Testament. And he would have understood them in the context of the people of Israel. That's what loving my neighbor looks like. And when he asks, who is my neighbor, what he's really asking is, is it really for all people? Knowing that in Genesis, it says all nations would be blessed through Abraham. And in Revelation, we read that every tribe and every tongue will worship Jesus. That's the vision of the kingdom of heaven. It's beautiful in its diversity and in its unity. And the expert in the law is asking, really, is that really who I'm called to love? And in response, Jesus tells this story. The word there, we're told, is he was trying to justify himself. That Greek word, dikasune, you can translate as either justice to make just or you can translate it as righteousness. And it's a couplet, this pairing of justice and righteousness that you'll see throughout the Bible. And you'll see, we read together in Amos, you see, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. It's that couplet. And the, the biblical understanding of justice is slightly different than what we might assume in 2022. We hear justice and we think punishment. We think retributive justice. But the biblical understanding, only 10% of the 300 times that word is used in the Old Testament, refers to this kind of justice. Over 90% of the use of the word justice in the Bible is about restorative justice. It's making unjust structures whole. It's challenging oppression and calling out instances of injustice. That's the biblical understanding of justice. And this couplet, you see over and over again, justice and righteousness. It's a bit like ant and deck. They're always together. Justice and righteousness. So much so that actually the best English translation of that expression together, justice and righteousness, would be social justice. Justice to do our relationship with others and righteousness, our relationship with God, but also restoring right relationship with others, social justice. This story of the Good Samaritan, therefore, is told in the context of social justice. And there are three things that we can learn from the story Jesus tells about how we can respond to racial injustice. And the first is this, is to rise to the challenge of Jesus. Look with me again at those verses we read, from, starting from verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Rise to the challenge of Jesus. Jesus is challenging this expert in the law. He's challenging his origin, original audience and he's challenging us today. And he tells this story of a man left for dead on the side of the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, who is probably coming from worshiping in the temple in Jerusalem. And this road would have been known to Jesus's original audience. It was around 17 miles long. It was down a steep incline that started over about 3,000 feet above sea level. It was full of winding roads with bushes that would have meant it perfect territory for robbers to hide and then attack. And that's what happens to the man in the story. He's beaten, he's bruised, and he's left half dead, we're told. And a priest walks by, sees him, and walks by on the other side. 
And then again, a Levite sees him, walks by on the other side. But Jesus chooses as the hero of this story, the Samaritan man. And this was significant. And the reason why it was significant was because there was racial division between the Samaritans and the people of Israel. After the fall of the kingdom, after the reign of um, King Solomon, we had the divided kingdoms, the two kingdoms, the north and the south. You had Samaria in the north and Judah in the south. And between the thousand years between the fall of the kingdom of Solomon to the reign of Jesus, across those thousand years, the people in Samaria had begun to have this reputation for racial division. They were hated, they were opposed, they were viewed as ethnically impure. And yet, in the face of that, we still see, even in the time of Jesus, that division and that tension. We're told just a few verses earlier in Luke chapter nine that when Jesus proposes a field trip through Samaria, two of his disciples, James and John, say, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy the Samaritans? Even in Jesus' time, there's that division. And yet Jesus, in the face of injustice, in the face of oppression, he is intentional. We read in John 4, we know that Jesus makes a detour and goes and speaks to the Samaritan woman at the well. We're told that he had to go through Samaria. He was intentional. He went out of his way. And in one conversation, the Samaritan woman becomes the first carrier of the good news of Jesus in the Gospels. And Jesus goes out of his way time and time again to correct injustice. And one of his most famous statements, Jesus, when he promises the outpouring of his spirit in Acts chapter one, verse eight, we read that Jesus encourages his followers, you and I, that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and watch this, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is intentional about combating systems of injustice, but probably none more so famous than this story of the Good Samaritan. When we hear the phrase Good Samaritan, it's made its way into pop culture. Entire groups and organizations are using this term, but it would have been deeply shocking and even insulting to Jesus's original audience, and he is challenging them. Would we rise to the challenge? The two examples that Jesus gives in the story of people who walk by, he could have made anonymous, but Jesus chooses to name them as a priest and a Levite, the religious leaders, the people who ought to have known what loving your neighbor looks like, and yet they're the ones who walk by on the other side. Now, the significance of this is they were also coming from Jerusalem. They would have been involved in worship, and they would have known that risking someone who was half dead, they couldn't know if he was alive or dead, But if he were to be dead and they were to touch him, they risked becoming ceremonially impure. And so they choose to walk on by on the other side, not to contaminate themselves. And if I'm honest, I can relate with the priest and the Levite. Because there are times in my life when I hear stories of injustice scrolling through the news. And we've seen this over the course of the pandemic. It's ongoing. Our lives have been open to the injustices in the world in new ways. I am tempted to keep swiping on by. I become desensitized to the cries of the oppressed. And I am tempted, just like the priest and the Levite, to walk on by on the other side. I think it's significant Jesus chooses them because his vision for his church is not that we would walk on by on the other side, but that we would walk towards injustice, just like the story Jesus tells, the hero of the story, the good Samaritan. Would we rise to the challenge of Jesus? But the second thing we learn from this story about how to respond to racial injustice 
is to receive the comfort of Jesus. Look with me again as the story continues. In verse 34, the Samaritan went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And so this Samaritan, the hero of the story, sees this man. He doesn't cross on by the other side. He goes towards the man he sees left half dead. He gets off his donkey and he bandages him up. That means he would have taken his own clothes in order to do this. He pours out his own wine and oil. That would have been costly. Alcohol for the wound and oil to balm up the pain. And then he gets off his donkey, puts the Samaritan on it, which means he would have had to walk. And then he walks to the inn, pays the price for this man to be made well. He even says, whatever it costs, I will cover it, which would have put the Samaritan at risk of exploitation from the innkeeper and would have put the Samaritan person at the risk of being attacked himself when he helped out the man left for dead. But what does he choose to do in the face of injustice? He comforts he who was wounded. We know from the New Testament that when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer, that wounds to one affect wounds to the whole. Or to put it another way, as Martin Luther King said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice anywhere. If you feel like this man left for dead on the side of the road, and I think the pandemic has done that to all of us in all different ways, I felt the effect of the pandemic, that there are times where we feel left for dead, beaten up. I wonder what wounds you're facing here today. I wonder what you feel has left you for half dead on the side of the road. But the encouragement of this story is that in the face of our wounds, in the face of injustice, in the face of being left for half dead, in the person of Jesus, we can receive comfort. We can receive restoration for our wounds. We can receive healing for our souls, and we can receive afresh the love of Jesus. Receive the comfort of Jesus. You know, we're not told what the Samaritan says in this story, other than right at the end to the innkeeper. He doesn't say anything. His love for this man is demonstrated through his actions. He doesn't retweet or post an Insta story. He acts in the face of injustice. And there is a time to speak. Martin Luther King said, in times of injustice, it's not the words of our enemies that we remember, but the silence of our friends. There will be a time to call out injustice, but there's also times to act instead of walking by on the other side, to walk towards those who are hurting, those who are grieving, those who are crying out from injustice. Would we rise to the challenge? Would we receive the comfort of Jesus? And then the third thing that we see from this story is to respond to the call of Jesus. Jesus asks in verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He doesn't even say the Samaritan. The one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do 
likewise. Go and do likewise. Recently, I started, I finished um, my master's degree at St. Melitus, and as part of my master's thesis, I looked at the church's involvement in India during the British Empire. And I knew a little bit because um, my family had told stories, but I didn't really know much. And actually, if I'm honest, there were parts of the things that I found that were really shocking and upsetting and appalling. But there were also stories that I found encouraging. One of the things that occurred during the British Empire in India was the caste system. Now, the caste system in India had been around for years before, but actually what happened when the empire came was they mapped the class system onto the caste system. And essentially, it meant that if you were born into one of the lower castes in India, and everyone was born into a caste by virtue of your family, if you were born into the lower castes, the lowest of the low was called the Dalits, which translates as untouchables. If you were born into these castes, you were literally treated as second-class citizens. You were denied rights, you were denied education, opportunity, employment, in many ways, left for dead. And when the church came, the Church of England, to which I'm ordained into, came to India, the question was, how would it respond in the face of this injustice? And there are upsetting stories of people not speaking out, not calling it out, but there are stories of hope. And I was encouraged to read of a guy called Daniel Wilson, who loved Jesus, was a church leader, eventually became one of the first bishops of Calcutta. And Bishop Daniel Wilson, on the 24th of January, 1834, was visiting a church in South India, and he was about to celebrate communion together with the people. But when he got to this church, he saw a literal divide in the congregation. There was a division, and at the front, right at the heart of things, were were the English, and at the back, separated, were the Indians, in order of caste, and the lowest of the low, right at the back. In the church, there was literal division. And so before he celebrates communion, Daniel Wilson walks directly to the back. In the face of this division, he gets rid of the divider and he takes two people by the hand who are right at the back, the lowest of the low, those unseen, the untouchables. He grabs them by the hand. He brings them straight to the front to sit right at center. The people around Daniel Wilson see him do this and they go from the front directly to the back and they bring them to the front. And then when they were all together at the front, they shared communion together. I remember being so moved when I heard that story because I think that's what it looks like to love your neighbor. That's what it looks like to go out of our way, not to turn and walk on by the other side. I wonder in 2022, what are the ways that we could respond to the call of Jesus to go and do likewise? Maybe it's calling out injustice that we hear, stories around the water cooler in the workplace. Maybe it is taking time to evaluate, where are the times that I've crossed on by in the other side and not listened to the cry of the oppressed? And maybe it is taking part in God's kingdom building work to build a kingdom, a world that looks more just, challenging structures and systems of oppression. How can we respond to the call of Jesus? Jesus tells this story of the good Samaritan who doesn't walk on by. But as I'm reading the story, it sounds familiar. Someone who meets us when we're broken, Someone who journeys with us and pays the price for us to be made whole. The good Samaritan points ultimately to the greatest 
Samaritan. Jesus, who sees us when we were left half dead, who sees us in our pain and our suffering, who journeys with us and on the cross paid the price so that we could know we are loved by God, so that we can know that we can be in right relationship with him. Jesus, who experienced the worst injustice the world has ever known, who was beaten, rejected, oppressed. Jesus tells us this story, and he empowers the Samaritan. The Samaritan wasn't the one left for dead. He was the hero. Not only does he empower the Samaritan, but he identifies with the Samaritan. And why does he do this? Why does Jesus tell this story? Why did Jesus go to the cross? Well, we're told the answer right up top. It's the thing that starts this whole passage. And I looked at the passage this week in Hindi, and I don't understand Hindi, but I understand one word in Hindi. Pya, love. This whole story is about love. We read, what does it look like to follow the law? The man replies in John 10, Verse 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. How might we love our neighbor in a world that is divided, in a world that is wounded, in a world that is crying out for the love of God? I wonder what it would look like if we, in the face of injustice, wouldn't walk on by the other side, but we would love our neighbor, that we would go towards those who are hurting and wounded. That I have some empathy with the expert of the law. He couldn't give out what he hadn't yet received, but we have received the love of God, the self-sacrificial love of Jesus on the cross. What would it look like? I imagine we'd see the evangelization of this nation because they'd see the love of Jesus and the beauty of what he did on the cross. I wonder whether we'd see the revitalization of a church, a church that points to God's kingdom where every tribe and every tongue worship Jesus together. I think we'd then see the transformation of society, the transformation of broken hearts, the transformation of this city, of this nation, and of this world. In Jesus' name. Amen.